The Sports Gaming Podcast and the Sports Gaming Podcast Network is presented to you by MyBookie.ag. MyBookie.ag is the official online sportsbook of the Sports Gaming Podcast Network, the Inside Vegas Podcast, and the Sports Gaming Podcast. Props, parlays, in-game wagering, MyBookie.ag has it all. And if you sign up using the promo code SGP50, you'll receive a 50% deposit bonus today. Play, win, and get paid at mybookie.ag. We're also brought to you by DraftKings. Go to DraftKings.com and use the promo code SGP to enter the all-new single-game showdown contest this Thursday to compete for $1 million in the top prize during the NBA Finals. That's promo code SGP for a complete shot at $1 million for their top prize only at DraftKings.com. Welcome back. We are inside Vegas, and this is a great conversation. Welcoming on Greg Peterson, co-host of the That's Gold in College Basketball and MLB Overtime Betting Podcast. Greg has done it all in this industry from a content perspective and a betting one and has one of the most kind of unique uh, views on sports betting and how to make money doing it, and then has the heavy volume approach. Fascinating conversation. We go back and forth, look at the pros and cons of betting every game on the slate or having at least a far more wide net to kind of diversify and, you know, the pros and cons of that and being selective and and that thought process that goes into it. We're also going to break down, you know, the future of kind of content in this industry as we both see it when it comes to the increased presence of legalized sports betting, increased presence of eyes on the product and what that means for the general public as, as well as looking at kind of the biggest names in the industry and, you know, whether or not... It's really the best content. The difference is between, you know, comedy driven type of gambling content versus the analytical and the, you know, kind of analyzation of just the games and and that fine line. So it's one of my favorite conversations we've done on here. And Greg has again done it all. He's worked from been a host on VEASAN, has been featured in the New York Post um, and everything in between. So amazing conversation. Hope you guys enjoy it. This is Greg Peterson talking volume betting, kind of the future of sports betting content. Joining me on Inside Vegas, one of my absolute favorite followers on Twitter. Give me a follow at GUnit underscore 81. Greg Peterson. Greg is the co-host of the That's Gold show and also host of College Hoops and MLB Overtime shows as well. Check out that website, That's Gold dot gold g-o-l-d greg my man how is everything going and usually i can say something about the weather but i know how the weather is in vegas and it's a cold memorial day so how is everything else going on for you things are going terrific thank you so much for having me always a pleasure yeah, man, we're doing a little home and home did your show and i thought it was only right to you know give you know when i was talking to you about this Hosting is can be kind of a funny thing, right? Because sometimes you don't really get to tell your story or, or your background or your stuff when you're the one kind of asking those questions all the time. And so it's cool to be able to, you know, see that the stories of people that are hosting and doing the ones who are really, you know, just telling the stories and stuff. So I guess let's start there, man. Kind of your introduction to lead you, you know, up to this point of, you know, hosting some incredibly successful podcasts. You've done work with VSIN over the years and kind of done it all in the content business of sports handicapping. So I guess starting from the beginning, kind of what led you up into this point? Well, I'm someone that I went to college at UW Oshkosh for radio, TV, film, everything like that. I knew I wanted to work in sports and you know how competitive this industry can be. You're always trying to get different jobs and everything like that. I found that I was a little bit better on radio than on TV, but ironically enough, I wind up with the Vegas Ads and Information Network and I wind up doing that. So all the people in my college that spent all those years doing the TV work are just like, what the heck happened here? But My first ever bet, I still remember it. It was UW Oshkosh 
playing against South Dakota State. First time our D3 university I've been playing against any sort of a D1 team. Obviously, FCS school, not FBS, but still, first time playing any sort of a D1 school in football since I think it was the 1970s. So I'm just like, hey, this is probably the only time UW Oshkosh is going to be on a Vegas betting line. I knew nothing about them. And then I see, oh, my, the, the school I'm going to right now is getting 46 and a half points. If I lay $120, <laughs> I get back 100. So wound up making a $60 bet. I wound up getting the $50 off of it because. UW Oshkosh only lost by a count of 38 to three. So that had me all fired up and I spent some time away from gambling for a few years because I was working out in Nashville, Tennessee as a weekend show host out in that wonderful city, did some producing out in Portland, Oregon. And then when I was producing out in Portland, I was working with a gentleman that had a lot of ties to Vegas. He wound up moving back to Vegas and was working at Visa. And he said, Hey, I know that you're working part-time right now cost of living in Las Vegas is a little bit lower. We would love to have you. So I decided, you know what? Why not? I thought that it was really cool to be able to do some stuff with regards to sports betting. So I signed myself up for it. The pay was a little bit better. And then from there, I just really got immersed into it. Being around gambling day to day as a producer and a production assistant on the Vegas Ads and Information Network just really had me hooked. It had me all in on it. I was making some plays myself. And then I realized, you know what? Whenever I bet a very low amount of games, but they're very select plays, I'm not doing well. But when I just chuck out there some plays on just a little bit of everything, I've been doing quite well. So that's really how I got my volume style. I've always been someone that has been immersed in sports. I don't really key in on one team. I key in on a little bit of everything because back when I was doing all those different spots as well, with regards to college basketball, I did bracketology. So you're taking a look at who's on top of the America East Conference. You're taking a look at the ACC, the Big Ten, all the big schools. And then you're taking a look at the little schools, see, seeing, oh, who's going to win the Southland as well. So I guess that's where I got my high volume style. That's how I key in on all these schools. And hey, that's how I made it to Las Vegas. I love it, man. Let's talk about your vault, your handicapping style, because I think it is so unique. And I, you know, there's so many different ways to profit and so many different ways to skin the cat, as they say, when it comes to sports betting and that high volume style that you're talking about and that you employ is so interesting to me. Let's start there, man. I mean, you pretty much pick every, I'm not even pretty much. I think the, the overtime name that you give your show is so worth it. I can't even imagine the work that goes into that when you are picking literally every single side, every single total when it comes to major league baseball, when it comes to college basketball, football, you name it. Um, you have a play for everything with your actual money behind it. Now, um, you know, what kind of led you to, I, I know you said you kind of weren't doing well with the low volume stuff, but I guess, how are you even able to, you know, put that many hours into the day? You know, people may look at that and think that you're just out there spraying the board that you can't put in that much time perfectly. Um, you know, how do you, do you kind of come up to that and kind of how do you handle that amount of volume and work that goes into it? It's just something that has come naturally for me because like I said before, I did a lot of college basketball bracketology. So I would always be, while some people are watching like two or three games, I'm right now on ESPN and I'm just looking down like a list of 40 games. I'm just trying to see, oh, Jackson just took the lead over Stetson and stuff like that. So I'm trying to get every little bits and pieces of these games, looking through game cast, everything like that box scores as well, trying to key in on what teams are really doing well late in games, trying to take a look at free throw percentages, 
all those little things that go into it. And for me, the reason why I do high volume is just because I've never been one that I've really wanted to key in on one conference. I don't like to key in on one team. I I don't like to key in on one separate thing. I'm a guy that I'm always multitasking just in my everyday life. People that run across me are just like, dude, you're doing like five things at once. And that's just the way that I approach my handicapping in general. I love being able to look down every one of these teams because every single team in these sports are interlocked in some way because a loss that say Cincinnati takes to central Florida, that has a ripple effect. You can catch some things from it and it's like, Oh, Oh, Cincinnati got exposed there. Their next game is against South Florida. I should probably catch up on South Florida. Oh, South Florida lost to this team. I should catch up on them. And then it just goes on and on and on for me. It's just like a web that never, ever, some that never, ever has an end. And I just love being able to always have action as well, because there's one thing that always bugs me. And it's whenever you're sports betting. And I found this when I was unsuccessful doing my low volume style. It's like, I have two bets for the day. You take a bad beat on one bet and it's like, man, now I need to rely on this one bet just to break even. Whereas in baseball, you have your like three bullpens blow up in the same day. You could still be highly profitable because it's like, you know what? I've still got 12 more bites at the apple. I've still got the West coast LA angels versus Texas Rangers game and stuff like that. So there's always a silver lining and it really eliminates the bad beats as well, which I know that every gambler goes through. It does, man, for sure. And when it comes to unit sizing and everything like that, I think that that's a really interesting conversation to have because, you know, I used to, you know, in my infancy, I, I was kind of, when I was trying to come up in sports betting, I thought it was kind of the opposite, right? Professionals are super selective. They're the most disciplined people in the world. And not, I'm not trying to say you're not at all. It's just, it's the complete kind of, you know, different thought process. One's not right. One is not wrong. Um, when it comes to putting in, you know, that amount of work every single day, and I know you play, you know, just so many underdogs out there. If you go through your timeline, everything is plus money there. Um, you know, what has kind of drawn you to that plus money? Is it just reducing that break-even point? You can have a sub 500 day. Um, um, and still make money like you were talking about, or will you kind of play anything that you see, you know, depending on what you can quantify as value, regardless of price? I do really look at value and typically the value is on underdogs because what we notice in sports betting in general is that people always gravitate to favorites. And that's what causes like the New York Yankees to go from being a minus 170 favorite against a team that's less sexy. Like, J.A. Happ versus Andrew Kasher, for example. J.A. Happ and Andrew Kasher are both starters that actually are not as far apart as you'd think, but because you have the name Baltimore Orioles on one jersey and you've got the name New York Yankees on another, you've got so many public people betting up the New York Yankees, and it's like, you know what? There's a little bit of value here on the Baltimore Orioles. It's not common that you find a lot of value on these teams that are favorites, but at the same time, you always have to recognize as well. Oh, the Baltimore Orioles are trotting out there. A guy from double a that I've never heard of. And it's like, I just can't take this side. I don't see how a team can win. So it is all about value with me. And it's one of those things where value can come in all shapes and forms. Some of the greatest bets that you ever make are laying it with a favor. Like we all remember Connor McGregor versus Floyd Mayweather. Yep. Floyd Mayweather should have probably been about a $20 favorite in that fight. And instead you were able to, if you waited until the, until a couple hours before the fight, be able to get them around minus 400. I mean, that right there 
is insane value. Typically what we find in baseball is that the value is on more of these underdogs, but it varies from sports support. And we even see it in college basketball. A lot of the best teams against the spread this year were teams like North Carolina and Virginia that were laying quite a few points as well. So it's all about just finding the teams are cashing tickets in general with me right now. It's baseball because you can have a record where you're sub 500 and you're still making a lot of units. And that's part of what I do. I don't care about my return on investment. I don't necessarily care about my record. All I care about is at the end of the day, did I make 30 units? Did I make 20 units? Did I lose money? I always want the option where I make the most units possible. When you talk about units, I think that so many things that you just talked about here, number one value I've said this time and time again, people may be groaning because they know where I'm going with this if they're listening. This is, the value is probably the most misused term, um, maybe other than unit or the word sharp in this industry, because on one hand, I really truly believe there's no value in a losing ticket when you don't play it every single time you spot that value. If you're going to start being selective to yourself and say, Oh man, like I mean, Degrom going tonight. Yeah, there's inherently value on him at that big price against a guy like Clayton Kershaw. However, if it loses and you never take that value again, you're not really taking the value. I mean, yeah, you're taking it once, um, but you have to have that long-term approach and that heavy volume that you're talking about every single time. Taking that value over the course of a season could be incredibly profitable. Is that kind of how you look at it too? Absolutely. This is a long-term grind. You can't go into this thinking, oh, I'm going to make a enough money to buy a private island in two days of sports betting and everything like that. And I feel like that is a big misconception with so many of the newer betters out there. A lot of people, as we both know, are tourists. They come to Vegas. They want to have a good time. They're throwing down like 20% of their bankroll on one play. And it's like, you probably made a good bet, but it just lost because even with the best bettors out there in the world, you hit about 55% of your plays. When you have a very, very small sample size, there's a big possibility that you're going to bust if you're playing at these high numbers. It's why these books out there in Vegas, it's why these casinos, everything like that, they're building all the fancy buildings because you know what? The general public just doesn't know that this is something that you have to do on a day-by-day basis. You can't just be selective in, oh, I'm going to play this one time, or I'm going to play this one time, or I'm going to try to buck the trend because you know what? Regression is going to set in eventually. It's one of those things where if you think regression is going to set in, you keep betting until that regression yes. sets in, and then you continue to bet Preach. when the regression is going down. You don't bet it once. And it's like, up oh, regression didn't happen. I'm just going to completely throw my strategy out the window. I tried it once and that's it. This is a long-term deal right here. Could not agree with you more, man. And preach, preach, preach. People out there, especially the analytics community, the sabermetric community, and, and of course it's going to lend itself to baseball because there's just so much data out there. But you look up and down at the you know, up and down the line of guys who or you can look at them and say they're unlucky, they're lucky, there's positive regression coming, there's negative regression coming. You know, Robbie Ray is somebody that people always thought that about, Lucas Giolito. Great. And to your point, I can't echo those sentiments enough because to me, maybe fine, but I'm going to, I am not going to be a professional who sits there and bangs their chest when I lost the previous three, you know, bets on that person to sit there and say, look at this plus 160. I hit on the fourth one and not talk about the three losses that it took to get there because he, you know, flash that. To me, I take a look at the breaks. I take a look at when people can actually figure it out, not make a, you know, completely revamp their style within a four game say, or a four day break in between starts in baseball or or whatever sport that you want to apply this to, shooting cold streaks, shooting hot streaks in basketball, whatever it is, football. 
So I just, I cannot echo those sentiments enough. And, and I think that when you utilize, you know, look at a guy like Giolito, everyone talked about this last year. Well, now what happened? He had the whole off season instead of just four days or a seven day all-star break. And now you, you can look at him and see it's the same delivery as Joe Kelly. They had the same high school pitching coach. He spent all season kind of redefining himself. And so, you know, this was kind of the thought processes I had on guys like Jose Barrios working with Santana on the changeup, Glasnow adding the slider. There's so many different, you know, ways that you can kind of see, you know, more than just saying the, the stats are going to tell you that there's a regression coming one way or another. Give me the narrative. And I know narrative is such a big part of, of kind of what you think as well. So I want you to expand about on expand on that a little bit. Oh, exactly. And narrative is something that if you ever listen to the podcast, that's goal with Steve Feitner. We always go through it. You guys know me. I'm a volume better and everything like that. But every single day they force me to just key in on one bet and why I'm making that bet. Sometimes it's one of those things where, you know what, you've got two pitchers that you really like, but you see that one guy is plus 150 and another guy is minus 160. Even though you like both guys, you're obviously going to take the value right there. And then with narrative in general, it is one of those things where there is sometimes hot and cold streaks as well. And it's being able to spot them before the general public. I mean, I know that you talked about this on my podcast a few days ago as well, just trying to beat the public to these trends because Something that I've noticed in baseball so far this year is that so many people say that, oh, it's really risky to take the run line with a home team. You don't want to do that because they're going to get fewer at bats. Well, you know what? The Tampa Bay Rays in all but one of their wins at home have won it. Actually, I think that all their wins at home so far this year, they've won every one of those by two plus runs. That bucks that narrative right there. It's a reason why you just have to keep on looking day to day at what's all going on. When you see the Tampa Bay Rays are starting to play some one run games. Yeah. Maybe you jump off the run line bandwagon where you're betting on them to win by one and a half runs. But until that runs out, you just keep riding it. Yeah. Houston Astros. Another one was what? 16 and one straight for the, um, the full game run line. And I know we differ. You only play full game. I like to eliminate the variance of bullpens and play first five mostly. Uh, but it's the same thought process and you know, you can, I always talk about this with trends. Somebody sees it one time, they play it, it inevitably loses and they forget it exists and not know it goes on a 5-0 run the next time, you know? And so when you, again, long-term, long-term, long-term is absolutely everything here. Um, I know that we are into, you know, knee deep into baseball season as my absolute favorite sport in the world. I know you'd love it as well. You also love basketball. I want to ask you when it comes to different sports and in always taking that value as a high volume better, whether it be football, baseball, basketball, UFC even comes to mind. Certainly again, you know, baseball is what uh 39% is the second highest, um, underdog hit rate in the world. UFC is even higher than that at number one. Um, when it comes to different sports, whether it be football, whether it be basketball, how does your you know, kind of handicapping style differ at all, or does it, is it all the same? A lot of it is the same for me. I do play my baseball plays for a little bit more than my college basketball plays in regards to the percentage of my bankroll, just because on some of these college basketball Saturdays, you could have 150 games on the board, which is just absolutely bonkers. So that is the reason why sometimes I will be playing my baseball plays for a little bit of a higher bankroll. But at the same time, I never really go above, I would say a half a percent of my bankroll, just because I know that there's going to be hot streaks. I know that there's going to be cold streaks because whenever I go with a sport, I go all in and I have a philosophy. I don't bet what I don't know because I've had so many people ask me, Oh, do you have a play on the NBA game tonight and everything like that? And I follow the NBA casually. I'm a fan of the Milwaukee bucks. I'm aware of what the Toronto Raptors are doing 
NBA Finals and everything like that, but I don't track it on a day-by-day basis, so I don't bet it. Uh, with the MLB, I am looking at absolutely everything. I'm taking a look at how the pinch hitter Ben Gamble of the Milwaukee Brewers is doing with his platoon outfield role. I'm taking a look at how the bullpen of the Minnesota Twins is progressing and how Trevor Hildenberg has really been the weak link for them. I'm taking a look at why the Marine layer causes the games in Oakland to go over during the daytime and why a lot of the games during the nighttime tend to go under. So I'm very dialed in on all those sports, and that's why I bet every single one of those games for a very small amount in baseball and in college basketball because I'm diving deep on like the WAC conference. I'm diving deep on the America East, the Patriot League, all that stuff in college basketball. And I always just try to bet on value, and I always try to go by my own evaluations because I've always had people ask me, oh, does it really take you off a play whenever you see the Sharps backing this or you're on the public side here, but the Sharps are here and everything like that. Now, you don't want to be on the public side 100% of the time or anything like that, but when I do my own personal evaluations, I find that I'm on the side of the book probably a little bit more than the public, but I'm taking a lot of public plays. I'm taking a lot of sharp plays, and at the same time, it's just one of those things where I trust in my own handicapping. I don't look at reverse line moves and think, oh, I'm on the right long side there. And sometimes I'll I see it drops by a point and it's like, and it's one of those things where I'm not like, oh no, I'm going to certainly lose this bet. You're always a little bit salty that you don't get the best line, but at the same time, you know that your bet's not dead before it even starts. Completely, man. And I wrote this up saying, you know, talking about getting the best of the number. And, and I don't want to say it's overrated. It is appropriately rated. I think it is a complete disservice when people go out there and they say, you know, the only advantage you have over a sports book is getting the best of the number. No, your advantage is, hang, you know, making your own lines, hanging your own lines and, um, you know, spotting those differences. And more, more moreover than that, knowing where the difference in opinion comes from. And, and that's kind of the, you know, better versus book mentality. Um, get like getting the best of the number over a large sample size is very, very important. But to me, it is not everything. The handicapping, the analysis, the narrative, what goes into why you made that bet is is. You know, dare I say more important than getting the best of the number. If you're winning, you're still going to win. Yeah, it's going to eat in your profit. It's going to cost you a little bit more, you know, when it comes to, you know, what you lost when you do lost. But to me, that is, you know, everything that you just said is so much more important than getting the best of the number. Now, look, getting the best of the number is a box and it needs to be checked, you know, to be a complete sports better and a sports handicapper. Um, do you think that there is too much emphasis on it, not enough emphasis on it, or just right when it comes to, you know, the narrative that that is the only kind of, um, you know, weapon we have against sports? What I think is interesting is I think there are some people that put absolutely no, nothing into it whatsoever in regards to getting the best of the number. And then there are some people I think it is absolutely everything. If you think that a team in college basketball is going to win a game by 20 points, the line goes from eight to eight and a half. There are some people I know that just won't bet it. It's like, if you think the team's going to win by 20 and you're laying eight and a half points, why aren't you laying the eight and a half points? I mean, obviously you want to get eight instead of eight and a half, but at the same time, bet it. And at the same time, there will be some people that they have an evaluation on a game. They're looking at it under, and then the total dips by 15 points, but they'll still play it even though it went through their number because, oh, they think that it's definitely going to be going under and they don't care what number they're laying either. So it's one of those things where I do feel like to answer your question, question. I do think that it is properly just because we have so many people in this industry that both over and undervalue the line that you get. Yeah. It's such a a fascinating kind of thought process and look into the psyche of handicappers and betters, right? Like people 
people will move women and children to get a half point either way. They'll stay off a side despite how much they like it. And I just think that there needs to be kind of a back and forth, you know, something of a fine line, um, you know, locked when it comes to getting the best of the number for sure. Um, anything else when it comes to your handicapping style, man, I want to kind of shift this over into the content world because you have done so many, uh, so, so much amazing stuff. You've been really everywhere in Las Vegas. And I want to kind of talk about your journey into that as well as kind of the future with legalization, with content, with pick sellers, with kind of everything that goes into that. Anything else you want to touch on when it comes to kind of philosophically sports betting or your style, good things, bad things, people to learn anything and everything. I always think that the best thing for handicappers in general, people are looking to get into this in general is just to always try to evolve, always try to look back at what's right and what's going wrong for you. Because with sports handicapping, you're going to take your losses and you're going to take your losses a lot. This is a very streaky industry. I don't care what sport you're betting. College basketball, MLB, football, you name it. It's going to be ups. There's going to be downs. The biggest thing is to learn from your losses. That was the big thing for me. I realized that when I was losing a little bit of money, when I was playing selectively, but I was making money that when I was going higher volume, hey, my advantage is going on some of these games that maybe I'm not most 100% sure of, but I know that in the back of the minds of the bookmakers, they're not always 100% sure of their lines either. Everyone wants to think that the bookmakers know 100% what they're posting on every single play. You have to know that there are some bookmakers that they know that they're setting a trap out there. They know that they're going to get people that are flocking to the New York Yankees at a short price when they know in reality the Yankees probably shouldn't necessarily be there and they are just setting you up and they're going to make a killing on it. And the books take positions as well. There's no way that the book is going to get 50-50 action on every single game and they know that as well. So it's why you can find some value on underdogs because they know that a lot of the squares, I guess you could call that in air quotes, and it's not necessarily a term that I like the most. I just like to call it the public in general. They know that some of those people are going to be betting more of the favorites than the underdogs. And then they know that the sharps are going to be trickling in on the underdogs is are going to be trickling in on the underdogs. So it's one of those things where you do want to just take a look at what's going right, what's going wrong for you, know that there's going to be ups and downs, and just trying to evolve from it. It's why I've evolved into a guy that bets every single game every single day because it really is my advantage trying to find those games in which it seems like the line is one where you could go either way on. It typically, it's one of those things where if you're able to find that little bit of a crevice, if you're able to find that little bit of an edge, that one little thing that pushes it over the top, you can make some value off of it. Yeah, man. Could not agree with you more with everything that you're saying. And, you know, yeah, you can learn a hell of a lot more than you can from losses than you can from wins in this business. And, and if, as long as you can, you know, tip your cap, you know, realize you've made the right bet and be happy with the outcome. You really can't ask for more when it comes to, again, everything long term. I did want to ask you because you brought up something great in that um, analysis, the market. Um, the, let's call it the public tax, the New England Patriots, Ohio State, Michigan, the Yankees, the Red Sox, um, Houston even. Look, I get it. But to me, yes, inevitably, when something is good, you are going to pay more for it. That is the whole thought process of high-end fashion. You name it. Here's the deal. When you were paying this Patriots tax, this Alabama football tax, the market didn't know how it was still having quote-unquote value even as favorites. New England destroyed a point spread for the better part of two years because 
in my estimation, NFL bookmakers really didn't in a couple of reasons. One, nobody wants to be different. Everyone is going to see their lines when they open, you know, from offshore or their computer program, MIT, you name it. And they're not going to be want to, you know, they're not going to want to be different because they don't, they fear looking different. And I always hear the, we don't want to get middled um, comparison. We don't want to give people the opportunity to arbitrage. All right, well, here's the truth. You can only get middled at your own shop. So if you're a parent company, you can only get middled from two, you know, whatever it is, CGT book, um, if they're independent, that's certainly a different story, but you can only get middle at your own shop. And you know, when you're able to get out ahead of that and know, yeah, you're going to pay a little tax, you're going to pay a point or two more, a 0.5, you know, um, point spread tax on these, you know, NFL point spreads, um, on MLB money lines for sure. But how do you, you know, are you able to walk that line and see, yeah, I'm paying a little bit more than I should, but this is just too good to pass up right now. It's one of those things where I just continue to always do my own evaluations on some of these teams. And I'm just trying to see who's all cashing and who's not it. Because I mentioned it before with college basketball, some of the most profitable teams against the spread in the 2018, 2019 season, they're blue blood schools. I made deep runs in the NCAA tournament. It was teams like Virginia. It was teams like North Carolina, Michigan state was a juggernaut against the spread. And typically when you have a high profile team, get an injury that can actually cause for a lot of value. I will go to it with Michigan state from there. You saw the point spreads on Michigan state become much, much more reasonable. And, and, and what people don't know is that the guys at Michigan state are bringing in, they're a little bit better than the guys that you're going to get from say a mid-major school like Drake. These schools that have the big time names like your Michigan States, like your North Carolinas, the guys that are backing them up, that are backing up the starters, they're still pretty darn good. Whereas a fall off like, say, Chris Clement, the leading scorer in the NCAA this past year for Campbell, say that he's out of the game. Well, you've got absolutely nothing there. Let's be honest here. And what you will also find, and I find this with college basketball, I find this with the MLB and everything like that. The teams that are most profitable are the most and least sexy teams because while I bring up North Carolina, I bring up Virginia and all those teams that how they were good against the spread. The other teams that were good against the spread, the Drake Bulldogs, the Cal State Northridge Matadors were an animal against the spread. I have no idea how. I have no no idea why they've lost 20 games straight up, but they just seem to cover everything. It wasn't even funny. So it is one of those things where you look at some of the most and the least sexy schools. That's probably where you're going to be able to make a lot of your money. These teams that are in the middle, they typically stay in the middle, but these teams that you know the most and least about, those are the teams that you can really build your bankroll around. Absolutely, my friend. Let's talk content because, again, inside Las Vegas, you have done just about pretty much everything that there is to do, and you've kind of shifted that into kind of more of your own type of stuff rather than hosting and everything like that. Um, I know you kind of you know talked about your journey as to what led you there. What kind of you know was driving you towards wanting to be inside you know content Vegas and kind of you know the the passion that comes across and everything that you talk about when it comes to creating content for people because I think it's a, a very fascinating conversation when there are very few people in this world when it comes to professional 
bettors and people that bet that want to do both. I think that a largely professionals want to be in the shadows. They want to get their numbers and they want to walk away. And it's a very you know rare thing for people to kind of want to do content and that because the narrative inevitably comes if you're so good, why don't you just play more? Why are you going to waste your time doing content? Um, and, and there's a bunch of stuff that goes into that. But you know, why did you kind of get into the content game? And, and what do you kind of say to those people that you know the, the best people in the world aren't creating content? Because I really disagree with it. Well, I'm someone that I grew up completely away from Vegas. I grew up in the great state of Wisconsin. As I alluded to a little bit earlier in the podcast, I was a guy that I went to UW Oshkosh for radio TV film. I knew that I wanted to work in sports. I didn't know how though. And I've always been someone. I just always like to have good conversations with people. I always like to be chummy with people. I grew up in a Christian household. I always tried to do things the right way and everything like that. And I noticed that in this industry, when I came into it, there are a lot of people that are, they're giving away picks or just not doing things correctly. We all know about what Vegas Dave was doing. Everyone that saw the, 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 uh, action documentary, everything like that. We all know what's going on there. And I want to be like, you know what? Let's do things the right way. Let's be interactive with people. Let's be there for them. Let's just have some fun as well. Because what so many people forget about sports is this is supposed to be entertainment. This is supposed to be fun. You want to make money. Obviously, there are so many people that they're in this for very, very different reasons. There's some people that they're looking to to build a bankroll of several million dollars. There are other people though, and I'm sure that we both experience this. They're just playing games for like five, ten dollars. They just want a little have a little bit of action. They want to just plank some beers with some buddies and they just want to be able to get a little bit of a sweat in. I try to help out all those people. I'm one of those people that I build up quite a bit of my money right around sports gambling, yes, but at the same time, my content also drives my income as well. And because my content drives my income as well, that means that when I'm successful, the people that listen to me are successful as well. And that is paramount because, I mean, it's one thing for me to let myself down. If I have a bad day, it's like, oh, I just let myself down. That's okay. But I actually find that I am trying even harder because it's like, I don't want to let down that guy in West Virginia. I don't want to let down that guy in Oklahoma. I don't want to let down that family in Wisconsin that is listening to me, I want to give them the absolute best opinion that they can find out there. And that is part of what drives me. And I feel like I'm such a good handicapper because I'm trying so hard for all those people to be able to build up their bankrolls and just have good information in general. Do you feel that there is inevitably a, no matter what somebody does, no matter how much somebody tries to prove that, and you know, I think the connotation of picks and, and touts, and, and it's a fascinating conversation for many different reasons, but somebody like you, who is, you know, free to the public that you can turn into, they can turn on your podcast, they can look at your Twitter feed, they can do a bunch of different things to see, you know, what you're on, why you're on it and all of that. I always have felt that this industry, when it comes to this and social media has a huge, huge kind of, you know, impact on this. And again, this is, you know, half of the show was designed to, you know, when I started this podcast to look at Vegas, the other half was to look at how social media has changed this. Why do you think that free people are almost held to a higher standard of uh, people who, you know, sell picks for money. In my estimation, I think there's just more eyes on it and you're going to get more of the vocal minority when something loses. But look, this is, there's a big difference between giving something out to somebody you're not betting and just providing information. Yet the people who provide the most valuable free information 
are the ones, if you you'll go over a losing day for somebody who's free, they're going to take the most heat versus somebody who's paid. Um, again, a bunch of different things go into that. Is, you know, when you, if you pay somebody, I think that there's one in expectation, but I think that if you're willing to pay for, you know, picks and, and info and all that type of stuff, you have more of a long-term view rather than somebody who comes across somebody on social media, sees what they're on for that day and, and max bets it rather than the one unit stake. What do you think about it? I absolutely think that's true. I think that the reason why people at post out plays for free do get a little bit more criticism is because more people see it. Because when you have to pay for something, the amount of eyes that you're going to get on it is astronomically lower. I mean, it doesn't matter if you're charging $1 or a million dollars. I feel like the people that will pay for something will pay a very big premium for it. It's the same way with subscriptions to magazines. It's the same way with just about anything in life in general. There are people out there that there will something niche there when you're posting things up for free it's out there for everyone so you can have someone that really has no idea what sports betting is all about they wind up taking like three of the 10 plays that you post you wind up going seven for seven and three for the day but that one guy picked those three wrong picks and all of a sudden he's like oh this guy has absolutely no idea what he's talking about even though he had a really good day and i do feel like that's a trap that some of us free handicappers do fall into and it's something that you're used to i always get trolls on twitter saying oh your picks are awful i'm so badly disappointed even though i had like a winning day or something like that and i always try to have a little bit of fun with it saying like uh i i won't be able to sleep tonight now because the guy with two followers wound up not being able to make enough money to be able to move to like some part of Western Europe or anything <laughs> like that. And it's one of those things where you know it's coming and you just have to deal with it. You know what? As long as at the end of the day, you know what you're doing is transparent. You know you're doing the best for everyone out there. You know that there are people that appreciate your work because what you see on Twitter, typically it's about the 2%. 98% of the people that follow these free handicappers like myself and everything like that. They're very satisfied with the work that we do. They love what we do and everything like that. And it goes back to podcasts as well. I'm sure that there are so many people that love your podcast, but then like the people that absolutely love your podcast, I notice comment less than the people I absolutely hate yeah. them. There are just some people that I feel like are just angry in general and they're just taking it out on whoever they can. And it's just one of those things where you have to know that at the end of the day, there's so many people that appreciate what you do. And that always gives you a little bit of warmth inside. It sure does. And when we talk about content as a whole, whether it be, you know, the differences that are upcoming, look, with legalization now, we have, you know, I mean, VEASAN going East Coast, where all of these, we have uh, Bleach Report going to Caesars. There's going to be, you know, there's no really stopping this, in my opinion, when it comes to out the people that are going to be in the forefront of creating content. What do you think about some of, you know, these larger companies, Action Network, um, you know, Barstool out there, there's going to be VEASAN East and VEASAN Vegas now. And, you know, what is that line? I think is very interesting when you talk about the old guard of creating content on AM radio, on, you know, TV touting and Stu Finer screaming and, and all that type of stuff. Because look, this generation of handicap, or no, I say handicap, this generation of casual gambler or whoever it is looking to make the next step or not, um, it's largely comedy driven is the biggest thing that I have seen. And I don't think that there's many 
many outlets out there who are able to walk the line of being entertaining and provide great content when it comes to the analysis and all that. Most of them are really either one or the other. Some people and some companies provide amazing content, but it's not the most entertaining and it's a little bit dry of a product um, because that's just kind of the people who are in that position or it's incredibly funny. Some of the stuff will make you bust out laughing, but is it really valuable information? No, you're sitting there watching somebody sweat and you're loving it and that is absolutely it. You know, what is that kind of, in my estimation, I think that you know people can need to kind of walk that line, but what do you think about kind of that split when it comes to sports gambling content as it stands right now and kind of where it will go with legalization and all these new places popping up? I think it's very interesting because I do think that the people that are hardcore gamblers, they are all in on the stuff that's a little bit drier. I'm someone that I like to try to do a little bit of both. I always like to have my like Spanish accent come out whenever I'm announcing like a pitcher that we've never heard of before and everything like that. I always like to have a little bit of fun with it. But I think the big thing is trying to find people in this industry that are both entertaining and are all in on the content as well. I think that's a big thing because what I think that you and I will both agree with, a lot of the people that are in this industry right now, they're older. I mean, let's be honest here. Whenever you see a lot of these bookmakers at whatever casino it is, it's a little bit of an older crowd. They're not used to all the media attention and everything like that. They haven't been trained in it. Now what we're finding is that more of these people that went to school with like a communications degree, something like myself, a radio TV film degree, we're able to be a little bit more relatable through the radio, through podcasts, through TV and everything like that, and still be able to provide really good analysis as well. So I do think the changing of the guard is we're going to see a big giant flood of youth. And I think that with the youth, you're going to have people that not just know what they're talking about in regards to sports betting without trying to be total clowns, but in set, but at the same time, they're going to be able to provide good betting information and they're able to be relatable as well. So I think the future is the younger is the younger folks being able to take over this industry and being able to pump out there some tremendous content. What do you think about the the education dynamic, let's call it, because I think it's it's so fascinating and so almost backwards because look, when you have a new market opening up like the sports betting one in each place, the people in my estimation who are probably the most qualified to do that, walk that line and give the best um, content, usually, I mean, the truth is sports gamblers, you're a rare breed, my friend, usually don't go to college. They don't have the you know journalism degree if they got into gambling. It was, I don't know that many people out there, you know, grew up wanting to be a gambler or, or whatever and kind of tailored their life from the start like that. But it's usually, you know, the types of people that, um, don't necessarily have the credentials that some of the biggest names in, in the industry were, but I would take a gambler without a high school college or ed, yeah, either one education over you know, take his advice when he's done it over a guy like, you know, let's say the name, you know, Darren Ravel out there or, or these comedy type of people that are, will always be in a much better position when it comes to creating content, despite the fact that it is, you know, in my opinion, one twentieth of what you would get from actual professionals. What I'm finding is that there are more educated people. I do want to go into sports betting and everything like that. There are so many people now that when they're in college, they get these internships and some of those internships are going to be with the action network. Some of those internships are going to be with Barstool. Some of those internships are going to be with these outlets. And what we're finding more and more is that these outlets, 
like your ESPNs, like your Bleacher Reports, everything like that. They are now adopting sports betting because ever since it was legalized last year, it's spreading like wildfire. I forget what publication it was, but the number one person in the sports world last year was just the casual sports better. There's more of a one. And that means that there's going to be more people that try to study it. It's just like, it's just like the internet boom. I mean, when Bill Gates was going to college, there weren't a whole lot of people that were thinking, oh, I want to go into this and that. But now we see so many people that they're going to college for IT. They're going to college for internet design, everything like that. And I feel like because there is more awareness about sports betting, you're going to be able to get more of those people that are educated. But to your point, there are a lot of people that they get their come up no matter what the industry is. And they come up through very weird circumstances and unfortunate circumstances because some of those successful actors, actresses, they have absolutely no experience. And then other of the best actors and actresses, they went to all the best schools and everything like that. So I think that what we're going to get is a very unique mix of people that are very well-educated that have went through the industry. They've had all these internships and other guys that they were just betting with their bookie off the street out in Philadelphia. And they just happen to know what they're doing. And they really found out through, I guess you could call it the school of hard knocks and just built their way up through there. Yeah, it's a fascinating dynamic. And, you know, some people put more stock in different things. But I think that that mix and that blend of every kind of, you know, thought process is really where this is, man. Anything else when it comes to content? I know we're going a little bit long and I want to get you out of here. But anything else when it comes to kind of where the content game is going, pick selling is going, anything um you didn't uh, touch on philosophically handicapping anything and everything. I want to kind of give you the floor. Oh man, that's really tough because I do feel like we hit a lot in this. I'm personally someone that I think that people are more readily available show that they're willing to humanize just people that have good values in general. It, are going to rise to the top in this industry. I do feel like some of the, I guess you could call them scuzzballs like Vegas Dave and company. I do think that they're eventually going to see their downfall. And I do think that the biggest trend is being able to find people that are successful, but also available to you. I feel like that is going to be something that really takes over in this industry. The Vegas Dave conversation to me is incredibly, incredibly interesting. Last thing here. What... I mean, I think that people largely, the mob mentality comes into play. And, you know, for everyone, if you saw, you know, pick any handicapper out there, right? And if your first time seeing them was a bad day or you saw the vocal minorities, you know, shouting scam or this is the worst person ever, um, you largely kind of tend to go into things not knowing anything, um, you know, forming your own opinion. You see what the vocal minority says and that is really it, right? So it's really funny to me. You know, I get it. I mean, the, the charges and all that type of stuff are out there for the public to see. However, I think that people need to spend more time. And and I understand that when it comes to these type of people, usually that that's when I say time, it means money because if you don't pay, you're not going to see it. Um, Kind of forming their own opinions about people. And again, I'm not sitting here trying to defend him at all. I just think that it's really interesting when you, because if you look at every person who sells picks, if you look at that up and down a public timeline, they're going to be called a scam. That's kind of the, the, how you break into this industry. I think that's how you really kind of can know you've almost made it at this point is being called that um, when it's done the right way. And that is not the case, of course. Um, when it comes to people like that little, little 
you know, the scam, scam decappers, I think is the term or the, you know, old tout who doesn't is just putting shit out there and does not care. Um, do you think that it's, it's really important to form your own opinions regardless, or do you just think that there is, you know, enough out there when there gets to that point of somebody like that, that there is enough out there that you don't need to know anybody personally, you don't need to know real stories, um, or, you know, whoever it was that went through them and, and until it becomes real. Um, I get it. I, I, again, not sitting here trying to defend him. I just think that philosophically, it's a really big thing in, in this industry to form your own opinions because everyone's going to have something bad to say about somebody. Do you agree? Oh, I totally agree with you. And I think the biggest thing is whenever you're doing your own handicapping in this industry, whenever you're making your bets, don't just blindly follow one person. I mean, I would never want anyone to just blindly play every single one of my plays either, because there's going to be times where I'm going to have some really rough days myself. It's one of those things where you want to try to gather as much information as possible. It's a reason why I do think that touts are going to try to go by the wayside a little bit more just because there is so much more free content out there. There's so much content with legitimacy, heck, even just on TV in general. And I do think that paying for picks is one of those things where unless if it's done right, it's one of those things where I would never advise it. The big thing with paying for picks is knowing the track record of the person, knowing exactly what they're doing, and just being able to see what they do on a day in and day out basis. If you're able to get that from that person that pays picks, then by all means, go all in on it. But at the same time, don't follow everyone those picks that you're paying for as well, just because you have to be like, you have to do your own evaluations. And if you're someone that you're following college basketball, the guy that you're paying your picks to, they post out their Virginia minus six as a play. And you think the whole other side should win on the money line. You should try to maybe look for some other resources and always trust yourself. I think that that's one of the biggest things in this industry is that so many people get second guess themselves. And I just don't understand why, because it's one of those things where there is so much of a glut of information. Some people try to look at reverse run lines and they try to look at line moves and where the money's coming in and everything like that. When in reality, the biggest weapon that you have to being able to make money against these, against the bookmakers, against the house and everything like that is just your own evaluations. Yeah. Knowing what you want is everything. Be self-aware. If you just want to make money and don't care how you do it, the information's out there. Let other people analyze it, move on. I think the respect factor and, and wanting to be known and, and all that type of stuff is the you know psychological side of it and, and not just making money, but making money betting sports and, and something that is so incredibly difficult to do is is always going to be a crazy conversation. My man, again, Greg Peterson, co-host producer of the That's Gold show and the college and major league baseball overtime betting show. Again, that's gold dot gold g o l d on Twitter at g unit underscore 81. I can't thank you enough, man, for taking the time. No, you're a very busy person recording just about, my God, the, the content you put out there is nonstop, just like your play. So I, I cannot thank you enough for, for coming on and chatting about this really, you know, amazing conversation in my estimation about everything that is changing, you know, your style and how it differs from others. Um, can't thank you enough, man. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Special thank you again to Greg Peterson coming on talking all things sports betting content and the volume betting approach. And if you want to take that volume betting approach, just remember where you're betting is just as important on what you're betting on. That's why I always tell people mybookie.ag. Been in business two years. The rep is rock solid and you'll never find anyone better. Big cash bonuses. Again, promo code SGP50 for a 50% deposit bonus today. 
That's mybookie.ag. You play, you win, and you get paid. And after that, we are also brought to you by DraftKings, and they are doing it big for the NBA Finals. It's been a long season. The end is finally here. We have Warriors. We have Raptors. Get in on the action. If you've been thinking about trying DraftKings, now is the time. With the single game showdown, there's $2.5 million in total prizes up for grabs with a grand prize of $1 million. All you have to do is draft six players from Thursday's game, one captain, and five other players. You get points for rebounds, assists, points, and more. All you have to do, your captain is going to earn 1.5 times the points. So go with your best player and your best feeling on that one. And that is it. Very simple. Go to DraftKings.com and download the app now. Use promo code SGP and enter for a a single game showdown contest again this Thursday, one day from today. Enjoy, guys. Finally spring, and I'm saying goodbye snow, hello adventure. And during the Honda Dream Garage Spring Event, you can get epic deals on your favorite Honda model. Ready to get rugged? Then take the off-road in an all-wheel drive Honda SUV, like the CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, or redesigned Ridgeline. Want to take a spring road trip? Then check out a fuel-efficient turbocharged Civic or Accord. Say goodbye to winter and hello to a new Honda. Don't miss huge savings during the Honda Dream Garage Spring Event. Now at your local Honda dealer.